All right, if you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's Word. One of the things I love about our church is that we have people from all sorts of uh, Christian traditions, uh, denominationally speaking. So there's a lot represented here and in the other service. And so for some of you today, this sermon's going to feel like, uh, man, that... I, this is, I kind of grew up hearing some of this. I, there's nothing I disagree with. So others of you, it's going to be a little uh, awkward. I know that because that's what was said in the, uh, the last service. And so uh, some people were uncomfortable, uh, and so some people weren't. Um, here's the deal. We're talking about two, two spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy. Maybe that's why uh, people got awkward. Uh, but uh, it, don't be. Don't be scared of this. One of the, the things I hope to make clear through the Scriptures is there we shouldn't be... Um, uh, you know, squirmy when it comes to these these gifts. These are gifts given to us by God. We believe God gives gifts. Uh, we should seek to understand them and know them according to God's word, will, and ways. We're Bible people here. And so speaking of, if you need one, we're going to be in it. I'm covering a lot of Bible today. And yes, we will probably go longer than no, most. So if you're guests with us, typically maybe subtract 10, 15 minutes from the end of this of what we'll normally be. Um, or we can make this our new normal. We'll find out later. But if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, it's our gift to you. We got a lot to cover today, and we want to be clear from the scriptures what the Bible says regarding these two gifts. We've spent uh, six, seven, eight weeks so far on spiritual gifts through our study in First Corinthians. We spent um, the majority of uh, of this. 2023 year in first corinthians but we slowed down looked at uh, all the spiritual gifts in the new testament so that everyone knows that they have if you're a christian you have a gift and you're supposed to use that gift to the glory of god and so today's the the kind of exclamation point the ending of our spiritual gifts uh journey looking at the different gifts we're looking at the last two gifts tongues and prophecy but also uh we're going to see how they all collide come together and should be bound by love and so we're going to cover chapter 13 and 14 of first corinthians we're going to start however with looking at the, these, two, these two gifts, prophecy and tongues, uh, at, a big, uh, at a big picture. And so I want to explain to you what these gifts are. So prophecy first, and then I'll, I'll talk about tongues, and then uh, I'm going to explain how they're used. And then we'll get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and look at uh, what, what is being said. So I want you to really take some screenshots in your own mind about what is in remember, and remember what kind of I'm saying here about what these gifts are and how they're used, because we're going to show you back in, in once we get into 1 Corinthians uh, 14, how these gifts work together in uh, uh, according to God's word here. And so prophecy is first. And so uh, what, there's a great debate over these, these, these two gifts. And so some believe they've ceased, some believe they continue. We hold a position that they continue. And so I want you to, say that, I want you to know that's an open-handed issue. You can disagree with that uh, and still not divide over that. So I just want you to know that. And so um, uh, prophecy is the ability to speak the message of God to others. And so this usually happens in uh, modern context through uh, preaching. Um, and, and it's different than teaching. So teaching is, is, a, is a gift. Um, uh, and oftentimes preaching combines the prophetic gift uh, uh, here in 1 Corinthians and also the teaching gift. They c- combine them together, uh, and it's usually what you get with preaching. So sometimes it's more informational. Uh, so today I'm going to do more teaching on the gifts and end with more of a prophetic call to obey and respond to God's word. But but sometimes this gift involves uh, foresight or visions or, or, or something that is to come. And so God speaking to someone and showing them what is to come. This is what we see, what we'll see in the Old Testament prophets, which we'll talk about here in a moment. This gift often is used to refer to uh, or to offer encouragement. The gift of prophecy is usually is used to offer encouragement or warning, to edify God's people or warn God's people. That's usually how the gift works. And so essentially the gift of prophecy, those who have this gift, are like mailmen. 
They, they deliver the mail. And the job of the one ma- delivering mail is to not open the mail, to edit the mail, to rewrite the mail, but to deliver the mail. Like that is literally the job is to just take the mail from sender to uh, the recipient. We are to take God's word and take it, deliver it to the, the people. That's what this gift is. And so how it works is, is first, um, those with this gift have uh, received specific information from God. Be it his word, uh, must, it, it must not contradict God's word. So that could be studying the scriptures, you're reading the scriptures, you're praying over the scriptures, and you're like, there's a, there's a, man, this word that I'm reading, I, I, I want it to come to be, bring it to bear to a people. That's, these people at this time need to hear this message. And so it's, going, it's, it's taking God's word, it's bringing it to bear. Uh, this could happen in form of a Bible study that leads to later preaching. It could happen through times of prayer where you're praying and, and God reminds you of something or, 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 uh, that's in the scripture or, 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 or brings something to mind that's congruent with his word. Uh, see, God will never tell you anything and speak to you that's, uh, that's in opposition to his word. That's one that we, we'll talk about that more later, um, but for the sake of time, I just need to tell you what it is and I'll give you all the caveats later. Um, but so this could be in dreams, this could be visions, this could be in, in, but this is not general information like, oh, look, the sun is out. Um, uh, this is, or, oh, what? I can read this verse too. That's fine. I'm not against you reading the Bible. You should read the Bible. You should know God's word. But, but this, this gift is you read God's word and you're, you're, you're singing. Like, I, this has to be acted upon. We got to go take this message to these people. They've got to hear this. If they don't hear it, then, then I'm not doing my job. That's what the, the one with this gift feels when they're reading the scripture, whether it be a, a particular issue in, in the day where it's like there's this particular issue. Like John the Baptist was a prophet that stood up and spoke specifically to the, the Roman rulers of the time and their infidelity and their, their sin and said, you must repent and trust God. The, the prophetic gifting is not afraid to get into trouble. They're like, hey, I, I, the, those who have this gift love truth and they hate compromise. They hate it. This is how they lose all their friends, and this is how all the Old Testament prophets and the guys in the scriptures, like, they all get killed. Like, they, they just show up and say, this is what God says. You got to obey it, and we're not going to negotiate with disobedience. We're going to proclaim repentance and, and trust in Jesus. So the, this gift is not just giving information to people, but it's giving information from God that's expected to be acted upon in obedience and submission to Jesus' word, will, and ways. That's what this gift is. And so... Uh, uh, it, this is uh, sometimes uh, is accompanied by a teaching gift so that it can explain some of the things so that people can have a right understanding. Uh, but those with the gift of prophecy, they, they get real frustrated with delayed obedience. They get real, fr- like they get angry. They just, just it, it, this is like the Jesus moment where he's throwing over the tables, braiding the whip. He's like, I, this is uncalled for. You, you can't keep doing this in my house. That's the spirit of the prophet. And so those with this gift, they tend to communicate primarily through speaking or writing. And this is where we get books of the Bible. Like those with this gift, they wrote books of the Bible. Those with this gift uh, also uh, stood up and spoke, and someone else wrote some of these things down so that we now have God's word. But three ways that this gift of prophecy is used. The first one uh, is uh, they tell 
God's perfect word. And so this, this gift, we believe, has ceased with the, and I'll explain, with the Old Testament or with, with the, the coming of Christ. And so what this is, guys like uh, Old Testament prophets, there's, there's a myriad of them, but there's guys with their name on it, uh, books of the Bible uh, that are prophets. Uh, and there's other guys who don't have books of the Bible written, uh, uh, but they're, they're prophets. And like Elijah, he doesn't have a book of the Bible, but you find him in First and Second Kings. And so you get, but you also get guys, uh, minor prophets, major prophets in the scriptures. But these guys, what would happen is God would speak to them and tell them, you got to go tell the people this. Thus saith the Lord. It literally, God says to do this, you got to do, do this. We see this with, in both to uh, God's people, uh, the Israel, uh, to tell them to repent or to, if they don't, this is going to happen to them. Prophesy what's going to happen. And, and we see that. But we also see people like Moses, tell, who was a, a prophet of, of sorts, who then spoke to Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. I know you don't worship him. I don't really care if you worship him. You should worship him. But the point is, is God has authority and jurisdiction over you. And you got to obey God. And so what we're going to see is this gift of prophecy is, is used for both. Uh, and, and also tongues, we're going to see it's a, it, there's, there's, a, there's an evangelistic use of it for non-Christians. And then there's a Christian use of it in that it is to bid, uh, build up or edify the body uh, of, of, for Christians. Um, and so what this is, is uh, God's prophets would tell God's people, hey, this is the infallible word of God, you need to obey it, or this is going to happen. And we see this over and over and over happen throughout the Old Testament. Furthermore, you need, we need to understand this, that the Bible was written, when the Bible was written, about 25% of it was prophetic in nature, meaning, uh, this meaning, uh, that it anticipated or declared the future events that had not yet come, and, and that, that did come to pass. Uh, but, but, but at the time of, at the Bible was written, some of the things had not come to pass. And not all of it has come to pass even yet to this day. And so there's still more. Jesus has not returned. And so until he returns, and we're going to get to the end. But that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about tongues and prophecy, and we're going to end with the return of Christ. It'd be a crazy sermon to put it all together. We've done it once, and I think we can do it again. And so here, why we believe that this prophetic word, meaning the, the, uh, the perfect and fallible word of God, that has ceased. No one's writing new books of the Bible. is because passages, the scriptures tell us this. And so this is my only thing. It, when it comes to the gifts, we got to obey the word of God. A lot of people, they hear about the spiritual gifts, and they're like, we need to, you know, uh, they're real scared about them, and they want to put guardrails up. And I'm like, okay, the Bible gives us the guardrails. Just use the ones that are in the text and we'll be fine. And so he says in Hebrews, uh, uh, the author of Hebrews in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, he says, In the last days God has spoken to us by his Son. See, the canon is sealed, meaning the, 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 the books of the Bible are closed. There's no more new prophets coming to uh, tell the infallible word of God. The, the, there are, there's the prophetic gift that must be measured by the infallible word of God that must be submitted to God's word, the, the Bible, but we don't write new books of the Bible. And so the last prophet in this sense was Jesus. He's resurrected. He's, he's, he's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And so guys like Muhammad who come and say they're a new prophet, we reject new prophets as far as they're going to add to or change or edit God's word. Meaning any teacher today who would stand behind a pulpit and edit God's word, we would say that they're a false prophet as well. We herald it. We don't edit it. We proclaim it. We don't apologize for it. That's what this gift is. So guys like Muhammad, guys like Joseph Smith, those religions that they started, we reject them because they've added to and, uh, and they've, they've taught a gospel contrary to the canon, the, the, the closed books of the Bible. Canon literally means measuring rod. We measure everything and even prophecy this day according to God's word. 
So that use of the gift has ceased. But this next two still exist. This next one, the second way that prophecy is used is when someone is used by God to apply God's word to a time and place. This is what preaching is primarily, oftentimes. The preaching ministry applies God's word to a particular people, time and place, because God's word is timeless. It's timeless. It is, it is, it's useful in many seasons and every season and everything that's going on, whether it be geopolitical or a modern present or in your work or in your sphere, but wherever you find yourself, God's word can be brought to bear uh, into a specific way that can apply to your life and at this time and demand your response and obedience to Jesus. And this, this is the prophetic ministry of the heralding of God's word. And so, uh, additionally, the third way is special information is given regarding future circumstances. Now, this is open-handed uh, position. Uh, you could disagree with this, but that's okay. Let me just explain, though, that some, I, I would hope that we'd be more open to this, but God sometimes uses, uh, uh, will use specific information or bring specific information uh, to an individual to help them in a particular time or a particular circumstance. And what I'm not talking about is new revelation in the sense that this is new, thus saith the Lord type stuff, what I'm saying is that there are times which God may bring information to bear about a particular circumstance and a situation that you need to use that information that God has given you to act upon for the benefit and building up of, of God, uh, God's people. This happens sometimes for me, and I don't like talking about it a lot, and so um, I'm going to for the sake of the, the text and where we're at, but uh, it happens to me Sometimes, more often than, than, than not, but in, in different counseling situations. I'm not a great counselor. Anyone who's like, man, you know me. I'm not a great counselor. I'm not like the, I'm not. I'm more of the like, hey, listen, obey God. Like, your feelings are hurt. Like, bring in Pastor Jonathan. Like, that's where, you know, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. <laughs> and so uh, I, I do love people. I love their feelings, and I, and I want to help them. But the point is, is there are times in which in counseling, God will bring things to mind, and I, and I won't know if they're from the Lord or not, but I'll sense it. There'll be a deep sense that it is, so I'll just ask questions. I'll ask questions. I won't say, hey, God told me to tell you this. I'll just say, like, hey, I'll, I'll begin to ask questions. I won't presume anything that I heard right or that God is speaking. I'll just ask. I'll test. And we'll find out later that that's what's required of those with this gift. The, they must test the, the, if this is from the Lord. And so I'll, ask, I'll often ask, like, hey, um, did this happen at this point in time? Or in the, and ask different questions. And people will, will then respond sometimes with, how'd you know? And like, I don't know. I just asked you a question. I now know. See, that's the thing. I think, I'm asking, you just confirmed, and now we know. If you said, oh, this has nothing to do with this. That's fine. Okay, cool. We move on. We move on. But, but I don't want to... Uh, neglect if God is impressing upon you uh, in a particular time with a particular insight to, to just think, oh man, that can't be God. Because if it is God, if it is God and you're ignoring him, you should tremble. If God is speaking to you and giving you information to act upon for the edification of the body of Christ, and it is, and it's not, and you just don't even test it. You just throw it out the door. You're the fool. You are the fool. Like, just imagine talking to God about that. Well, yeah, I know you gave me this gift, but every time you, you, you told me this, I just, I just threw it out the door because I don't believe it exists. You fool. What'd you do? You, you buried your talent. Just imagine the day when the Lord Jesus shows up and he, he demands a return on the investment of the gift that he's given you. This is the word of the Lord. And this is where, I'm, this is where you get into the prophetic moment. I'm like, ah, we can't do that. 
This is, if Jesus says it, we must obey. And so there are times that I've been, so I want to test these things. And there's times where things, names of individuals who have been brought to mind, and I'll ask, like, hey, is it this? And they're like, how do you know this? And I'm like, well, I don't. I don't. But we test it. And so what is the point of that? It's not to just say, hey, here's some cool information. Ha ha, look, we got information. It's that so that we can now deal with specific things. So for there's particular trauma that was not being shared, but now it's being exposed. And it's like, oh, wow, there was abuse in your life with this person and that person. And that person is in your family. And you had a family reunion last week. And you're wondering why you're having traumatic night terrors because you were just with the demon guy who, who sexually abused the other person. And now you all came together. Like it's starting to make sense. And we can then go, we can start seeing this for the purpose of, of counsel, for care, for edifying, uplifting, repentance, it, it, seeing the context and circumstances. Sometimes it happens naturally through conversation, and sometimes those with this gift have a unique gift by God that God allows them to see some things that they may not see if God didn't otherwise share it. I say that because it's not, it is revelation, but it's not new revelation in the sense that it is, this is the new book of the Bible. That's what I'm trying to say. And so uh, I get it. This stuff can be misused. So can the gift of faith. So can the gift of, of leadership. So can the gift of hospitality. So can the gift of every single gift that God has given can be misused. It can, can come from a place of sin. They could use it. They could be, come from a, of a desire to manipulate. You're really hospitable because you want to manipulate people. That's just as wicked as using the gift of, of prophecy to manipulate people. And we'll get to later that all the gifts can be rendered useless without love. That's where we're headed. And so that's prophecy. Get a little passionate about that. Tongues. Less, I'm not less passionate about it, it's just I don't speak in tongues. So uh, the word tongues literally means, but I love, I love talking about it because it's, it's funny to me, Christians get all confused about tongues when it literally, I, I, I have an issue with the translators, why don't you just translate it languages? That's what it means. The gift of languages, people be less freaked out, right? Like it's just the gift of languages. That's literally what it means in the Greek is it's just a language. And so the, those with the gift of tongues had the supernatural ability to one, either pray in an unknown language, um, and, and that they don't speak, or, or to speak to others in their native tongue, but it's a tongue that, a language that they personally, the speaker does not speak. It's unknown to them. Does that make sense? So it's either, it's, it's, it's either the gift of uh, being able to pray in a language that they don't know, but God knows, uh, or a language to, that they can, uh, they're speaking to others, um, and they don't know it, but the other people know it. We'll, we'll talk more, it'll be more clear as we go on, but that's the two ways that the gift of tongues is, is seen in the scriptures. Moreover, there have been some recent scholars that have said that the gift of tongues may include in, uh, the general ability to, to skillfully translate and so be a part of the Bible translation. Like, it's a masterful task if you actually think about it. Like, it regardless of that was tongues or not, like, it's a skill. So like, no original, like, the, the Greek and Hebrew and to be able to discern that and to then to be able to write the, new, the, the scriptures. Like, it's so miraculous that the, the, the Muslims would say that we've corrupted the Bible because it's not original. I just want you to see, like, whether that is, has anything to do with a, a gift of tongues or not or languages, it's definitely a gift from God and should, God should get the glory for that. And so I just want to make a point uh, to that. So maybe some of you just have, like, a great desire to see the Bible translator, see translations, or, or to see God's people uh, know the Bible, read the Bible in their own language, you might be, you might, I just want you to know that's not normal. Not everyone is thinking that. 
That's a gift from God. Moreover, there's 7,000 languages on earth today. 7,000. That's a lot. Like, if you know, like, five, you're like, wow, you're, you're like 1% of hum- humans. There's 7,000. God knows them all. We maybe know one or two. Uh, and then if you have tongues, you may get a language of one of the 7,000, which you don't know which dialect from which nation or where it might come from. But it is uh, possible. And so what I, wh- why do we have 7,000 languages? Why do we have so many languages today? It was because there was a time in which, God's, or which, which the people on earth decided the world wanted, they wanted to unite themselves against God. And so what God did was he came down at Babel and, and dispersed the people and therefore there became nations and tongues and he confused their languages because they wanted to unite and rebel against God. So what did God do? God came down and confused them. Well, we see in Acts 2 at Pentecost, everyone is, is now from every nation, all the nations, tribes, and tongues are, are gathered and then God unites what is divided, what is scattered through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus as a uniting of God's people through, tongue, through the, 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 the gift of tongues at Pentecost, where everyone was able to hear the gospel in their own language. And so the last thing I'll say before I get into the three types of tongues is that tongues is always listed last in the gift order, which signifies uh, that it's likely the least, like, the least gift. We'll see that it's definitely lesser than prophecy here in a moment, but uh, it's flashy, Everyone sees it. It's, it's public. It's flashy. Uh, and so the Corinthians thought it was the best gift. Paul is writing to the Corinthians telling me it's not the best gift. So that's what we see. And sometimes we see it on display in our cultural context as well. Now, three different kinds of tongues. Now, this is where uh, the Bible is clear, but Christians haven't been clear. So I will seek to be clear. Number one is a private prayer language. Now, many people will uh, just really get upset with that language. Let me show you how that's, you shouldn't be upset. This is what the Bible says right here. It says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, and we can disagree whether these being hyperbolic or not there. That's neither here nor there. But I'll tell you this. A tongue of angel and a dialect of Mandarin, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with any Asian language, they all sound gibberish to you. Like it, it, it really, I don't know why we get really argumentative on that one. But anyway, uh, in any of the 7,000, it could be, it's foreign language to you. And so, he says, if I don't love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. But then in, in chapter 14, he continues and says, if one speaks, see, if one speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men, but to God. What does it mean? If I were to ask you to define prayer, what would you say? You would say prayer is what? Speaking to whom? God. He's talking about prayer here. If one speaks in a tongue or a language that is not theirs, who is he speaking to? Not men but to God. He's praying. Uh, and, one who, and, and no one understands him, for he utters the mysteries of the Spirit. The Spirit of God understands, and maybe the Spirit is, is giving him utterance, uh, and so maybe it is angelic. Maybe it's just something he does not know. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, one of the arguments for those who believe tongues has ceased is because we only view tongues in the lens of Acts 2 evangelism. We're going to get that to that. That's the second use. But before we get there, I want us to see here in 1 Corinthians 14, it's clear that there's a type of tongues that's prayer. And we're going to talk even more when we get further into 1 Corinthians that it it's explicitly talks about prayer, praying in tongues. And so the point here is I just want us to see that and not to be freaked out by it, is not to be you know weirded out by it, but is that... Um, Prayer is what? Talking to God. 
That's what he says. You're talking to God. Tongues means language. So talking to God's in an, another language. And how does Jesus, let me ask you this, how does Jesus teach us how to pray? Private. <laughs> go to, <laughs> he says the Pharisees go out on the, on the street corner. He says, Christian, you should go privately. Go privately into your closet, shut the door, and pray. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. So if you have the gift of, of, of tongues, and, and you don't have the gift of interpretation, and, uh, then you, you should exercise your gift privately in prayer to God who sees in secret and rewards you. Christians shouldn't be weirded out by that. We shouldn't have any issue with it. This is literally what the definition of, of Jesus, prim- the primary way we should, we should pray is privately. The, the, uh, uh, he says it's in a tongue, so that's a language. He says he's talking to God. Private prayer language. Number, t- number two, and this is the most common view of, of tongues, is a missionary preaching in a known le- earthly language to a hearer, but not known by the speaker. So it, mean, it would mean like you speak a language that I don't speak, but all of a sudden God has given me the gift to speak your language and you understand what I'm saying. This is what happened at Acts 2. Verse 4 and 6, it says this, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They're like, that dude knows Japanese. How does he know that? How does he know Aramaic? How does that dude? That dude does not look like, you've ever seen, you've ever watched those videos where you've seen like the, the white dude show up to, to some like Asian restaurant and it's like this dude can't order anything or whatever and he just speaks perfect like dialect wherever he's at and everyone's looking around like what? Bewildered, right? That's what was going on but like everybody, like 120 people just like, it was crazy. It was crazy. Now, this, is, this often happens on the mission field. And this is why you typically don't see this type of use of tongues in, a, in an area where everyone speaks a common language. When everyone speaks English, um, even though other people may speak other language, but when there's a common language, this gift has uh, little use. But on the mission field in a foreign context where, there are, where you are like, or the, the individual, the Christian is the minority uh, in, 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 as far as linguistically in a context where everyone speaks a language and they don't, th- you, you do see this gift being manifest more often so that they can herald the gospel like in Acts 2 so that people can get saved and churches can get planted. So that's the second use of this gift. The third use of the gift is, is, is implies the need for interpretation. And so this is a revelation in a language unknown to the hearers, therefore needing interpretation. So someone's, this is where the gift is used in teaching. So the first way the gift is used is in uh, prayer. The second way the gift is used is in, uh, um, is, is in evangelism. And the third way the gift of tongues is used is in teaching. So evangelism, reaching the lost, Teaching and edifying the Christians. And if they're, te- if they're teaching in a language that the Christians don't know, it requires that there be an interpretation. He says in verse chapter 12, 7 through 10, that, that everyone's been given the manifestation of the Spirit, which we've talked about for the common good. The reason why God has given us the various gifts is for uh, the common good. Two of these gifts being tongues and the other interpretation of tongues. In chapter 14, 27 to 28, he says, if, I, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at three, at most three, and each in turn. We're going to get back to that here in a moment, a little bit while later. Uh, but let someone interpret. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent 
in the church and speak to God himself. So someone who has the gift of tongues and they feel compelled to, by God to share a message in that foreign tongue to the people of God demands that there be an interpretation for the edification of the body of Christ and for the uh, teaching of God's word. So you got to understand it. And so some have the gift of interpretation. That's another gift. They, some have the gift of interpretation. Others need to pray and ask for the gift of the interpretation so that they can interpret. It, we'll see that later. And so uh, the, the others need, if you don't interpret, then this gift in this moment where you're like, I, I think God, I think I want to share something, it's rendered useless because no one can understand it. That should make sense, right? So it shouldn't be weird to us. It should be very logical. It's the same reason why if you are in another country where someone else is speaking, say, French, you're in France, and everyone's speaking French, and they're not, the person's not speaking English, what do you do? You find someone who speaks English and Fran- French and say, hey, I want to go to the restroom, and the guy says, oh, here's where the restroom is. There's an interpretation, correct? Makes sense. So same is true if there's a teaching, someone has the gift of tongues, and they want to teach in that tongue, it needs to be interpreted. Um, Tongues and, and, and prophecy is the, uh, it, let, let's look at it according to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's get into it. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. He utters the mysteries of the Spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you to know, I speak in tongues. Uh, I want you to all speak in tongues, is what he says. Uh, To all speak in tongues, even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So, uh, Prophecy is better than tongues unless there's an interpreter. That's what he says. Clear. So tongues without interpretation, he says, it only builds up the individual. And, and we shouldn't shy away from that. That's okay. Like some people, like, oh, well, it's only going to build me up, so I shouldn't want the gift. See, what, what someone with the gift of tongues, and they don't have the gift of interpretation, and they're praying, uh, even in an unknown language, what they're doing is unburdening themselves by talking to God in prayer. This is private, this is personal, this is between them and God. For those of you who pray in English, you also have a private prayer language. It's just English. Just want you to know. Like it is. And if you've ever prayed and then felt uplifted, like you cast your burdens on the Lord, like the psalmist tells us in 1 Peter 5 tells us, right? You've cast your cares on the Lord. Like this is what is also, this not only, we're going to find out later that it's not necessarily that you need to understand it intellectually, but there's a spiritual unburdening that happens through prayer. And so if you're not accustomed in English to pray and feel unburdened, let me just encourage you to start praying more. I'm just convinced that most people want to argue about tongues not existing without ever even praying in their own mother tongue. Like, like crying out, like unburdening yourself. How, we live in a world today where everyone's anxious, everyone's on medication, everyone is just, just stressed out all the time. Why aren't you on your knees in prayer before the Lord, casting your burdens, your anxieties on the Lord? And he says in Philippians 4 that what? God will, the, will, the peace of God will, that surpasses all understanding will do what? Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You're all upset that someone else is getting their burdens cast on the Lord because they're doing it in another language, but you should do it in your own language. I'm telling you, 
that, that we, we shouldn't be so weirded out by this, that, that, that spiritually speaking, they're speaking, that God understands these mysteries. It's the Spirit of God giving the utterance, and it's unburdening the people of God. Prophecy, on the other hand, he says, is directed at individuals, and individuals are to obey God. And so the message goes to the people saying, here's your sin, here's what you need to do, here's what God's word says, repent here, obey God. And so those, uh, whether it be in counseling moments or, or in preaching moments, but the, 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 the word of God is brought to bear through the pro- prophetic ministry so that the people of God hear it and obey. And this is where you get Jesus' teaching, right, that you should obey, uh, teaching one another in Great Commission to observe or obey all that Christ commanded. Well, this is what we see. It's for the building up of the body so we can heal, they can, they can repent, they can grow, and they can mature. Now, verse 6, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you unless some revelation or knowledge of prophecy? So this is the third use of tongues. If I'm going to use tongues in a teaching manner, then it should inform you, it should build you up. Even lifeless instruments, he says, so he's making an analogy comparing them to, to instruments. Even lifeless instruments such as a flute, the harp, do, not give, uh, dis- don't, do they not give distinct notes? How will anyone know what is played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will be ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, if you're, with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different tongues in the world, and none of them without meaning. But I do not. But if if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker of uh, uh, to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with the language, uh, uh, sorry, sorry. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore. One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So teaching, wisdom, gifts of knowledge, uh, prophecy, these are to build up, edify the church. And therefore, tongues, if it's used in a teaching capacity, needs interpretation so that there can be a proper understanding so the people of God can be edified and built up. Unless... We're in an Acts 2 scenario, and it's evangelism, in which the, 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 the speaker is evangelizing through preaching in a tongue, and the audience hears and knows that language. There does not need to be an interpreter, because they understand. They're interpreting it themselves, and therefore they are built up. And so if you can't interpret, pray that you can interpret. That's what he says. If you can't interpret, pray that you can't. And if you, don't, and if you can't interpret, then don't use this gift publicly through teaching. So he's given this example with just like instruments uh, that, that have specific sounds and specific notes, so do a language. And so if you're going to enjoy music, right? If you enjoy music, the people who are playing the music got to know how to play the instrument, correct? Like it's, it's really enjoyable when someone knows how to play. Have you ever been to like, like see, hearing jazz music and you're like, man, I just say jazz is like the, the music version of tongues. Like not everyone can do it, but it's really cool to hear. Uh, and those who are trained in music know that, you know, that's a gift, right? It, it's it, it, improv, being able to do that, like, I mean, that, that, that's a gift. That's cool. But it's only cool if they're, the, <laughs> they're playing the, the music, right, right? If not, it's just clanging. It's annoying. It's like, oh, that's not, that sounds like my kid. Like, right? Uh, it's not very fun to hear. Same thing with tongues. If there's no interpretation, it's not very fun. It's just, ah, it freaks some people out, scares some other people, makes some people laugh, and other people are just confused. That's just how it is. And so we need interpretation if it's going to be public and brought to bear for the edification of the body of Christ. 
And so these two gifts, tongues, prophecy, we also see them as that they can be used as signs, which means that they point to Jesus. That's what a sign does. It points to Jesus. And so this is where we're going to see that the gift of, uh, of, of tongues and prophecy are going to be used in a, in a different manner. And so he says it this way. Um, verse 20 of chapter 14. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So don't overcomplicate this. God calls us to a childlike faith, not a childish faith. Childish faith just wants to argue about all this and, oh, I've never seen these gifts, so they can't be true. That's childish. Like, it just, let's take what God's word says and see if we can uh, uh, agree that, that if we're going to see these gifts used, they should be done according to God's word. Let, let's do that. Um, he says it even points to the Old Testament in verse 21 that in the law it is written, by the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. The, meaning that some are going to get saved and some are not. He's saying they will not. We saw in Acts 2 that they did get saved, and here we see that they're going to speak in, and they're not going to listen. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So what he, believers, what he's saying is tongues, when used in evangelistic ways to, to reach the, the lost, the second use of it, what ends up happening is Acts 2 style, is people hear it and get saved. Or in 1 Corinthians 14, 21 style, they hear it and they don't listen to the Lord. See, the Puritans were fond of saying the same God who uh, uh, melts the ice hardens the clay. Meaning this, when the gospel goes out, whether it be in your mother tongue, English, or another tongue, another language. I know many people here don't, your first language isn't English, uh, but, but just whatever your mother, whatever your, the, the tongue is that it's the gift of tongues, it goes out. Whether it's in tongues or, or your native tongue, the gospel goes out. What ends up happening is you either get saved or your heart gets harder. That's what happens every time the gospel is preached. is that your heart is even getting more soft or it's getting more hard. So if you ever find yourself in, in church or in community, you hear, hear the gospel being preached and your heart's get, getting harder, you should, it should scare you. If you hear the gospel each week and God's word proclaimed, you're just like, ah, I'm neutral. Plead with the Lord that you would have conviction. Plead with him. And so prophecy, also in this text, he says, so he says, tongues are a sign for the non-believers, meaning that it, it, is, it is a sign so that they could hear the gospel in their own language and then be saved. And therefore, he says, prophecy in, in regards to teaching ministry is for believers. Why? Because if you're not saved yet, you can't be taught to obey God's word in the same way of, of the Great Commission, where Jesus says, teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. So the, the God, so, the, so the Great Commission implies both of these, that there would be a sign of evangelism. If you're going to make disciples of all nations, they've got to come to faith. And then you've got to teach them to observe all that Christ's command. And so in this use, tongues in, in, a, in a cultural context where whatever uh, the people group you're reaching don't speak the language you speak, it's a sign to them that Jesus loves them, Jesus wants to save them, that he knows their language, he wants to speak to them in their language, they believe and they're saved. Prophecy then is, is what is used to, to mean teaching here, is that you need to teach, bring God's word to bear, so that it's a sign now to the, not to the unbelievers, but to the believers for the edification, the maturity of the body of Christ. All of this is aimed at one destination. That aim is worship. 
So this is where it all culminates together here in 1 Corinthians 14 when it comes to corporate worship. The point of the gathered church is that we would worship Jesus. He says this, therefore, in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together like we are now uh, and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say they're out of their minds? See, this is implying non-Christians are here. And I want you to know, we have non-Christians here all the time. Some of you have become Christians while being here. And you, didn't know, and you know that there's non-Christians here because you were once not a Christian. But others of you, are, you, you think that everyone who comes in here must be a Christian. It's not true. Like we just had, like, like we, we, people come to faith. And, and, and so this comes through the, this, why we explain things and it's why we don't all get around and speak in tongues so that no one can understand. Because why? When outsiders, non-Christians come in, they're, like, they're out of their mind. Not to, their, not to like, oh, they're cool, they're out of their mind. Because people think Christians are out of their mind already for believing the Bible, but they're like, no, they're, no they really are. Like, they're like drunk. Like, that's what, and you're like, no, you're kind of acting like it. Like, if everyone's speaking another language and it's just, you're weird, you're being, and there's no interpretation, that's what he's saying. They'll think you're out of your mind. So there is an understanding that there, there should be a, 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 a interpretation so that people can understand. Verse 14, he says, if all prophesy, however... Notice here, he says, if all prophesy how, uh, an, an unbeliever and an unbeliever enters, he is convicted by all and are called to account. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among them. I want you to see this. The passage right before this, what did it say? That prophecy was a sign for who? The believer. Now we're seeing prophecy being used to convict this, the non-believer. See, so I, I talk to people a, a lot about the, these passages, and they say, well, well, the tongues is always only for the, the non-believer. No, it's only for the non-believer when it's evangelism. It's for them and God when it's prayer. Prophecy is for the, uh, uh, the church when it's teaching and, and, and edifying the, the collective body of Christ Christians, but it's also for the non-believer when it's interpreted and in that they could come to faith and repentance in Jesus. This is what the scriptures are, are, are clear about. I hope we're seeing that it's pretty clear here. That if everyone comes in and, and there's a prophetic word, what ends up happening is non-Christians can hear the gospel and get saved. And so this is what we do. We preach the Bible each week and we expect God the Holy Spirit to work and move among us and that he would convict the heart of a Christian, moving them towards faith and obedience and maturity in Christ. And he would convict the heart of the non-Christian that they would get saved. If you're not a Christian in here, that's our game. That you'd get saved, you'd meet Jesus. And once you get saved and meet Jesus, God the Holy Spirit will continue to convict your heart and teach you so that you can grow and be edified and, and move to maturity and look more, act like, live like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Like we're not hiding, it's not a secret to our objective. Worship Jesus. So we want to worship him. So that comes through the conviction of sin. For the Christian, when you get convicted of sin, you should be, yes. Thank you for showing me my sin so I can repent of it and it great, gives me greater intimacy and oneness and closeness to God. It's just like if you, if you have sin against your wife, if y'all repent of it, what happens? There's, there's greater oneness, wholeness. Inability to repent of sin creates division in a relationship. Christians, we, we come here, we, we get convicted of sin and then we have an opportunity to, to repent of our sin. Non-Christians, you come in here and you get told you're a sinner and you need to change. But you can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. 
You got to believe in him. He's died in your place for your sins. He's resurrected. He's ruling and reigning right now. He's died for your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. If you put your faith in him, what you get is his righteousness. And then what he has taken from you is your sinfulness. All your sin, all your shame, all your suffering. He takes it on himself and gives you his life, his righteousness, his salvation, his forgiveness, his inheritance. He gives you that. So the, the non-Christian can hear that and they have an opportunity to do what? Say, yes, I believe that. Look at the cross of Christ and say, my, uh, my sin, therefore my Savior, become a Christian. You have that opportunity today and every single Sunday. The Christian always has the opportunity to walk in maturity, walk in faith. And so this is, this is the, the purpose of we, we herald God's word and, and so that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction and then the opportunity for uh, repentance. The question is, will you repent or will you rebel? And that's our response. What will your response be, repentance or rebellion? And this is why each week, even at communion, Pastor Alex will say, if you don't want to obey, don't take communion. We're really serious about the whole obedience thing. If you're like, I heard God's word and I don't really think that applies to me, I don't want to obey it, then reckon with that reality and don't go to the table because you're not unified with the Lord Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, I heard your word, but I don't want to obey it. So this one out. Let him work on your heart. And so, let's move forward. Praying in tongues. Praying in tongues. It's what's next. There, verse 13. Therefore, if the one who prays in a tongue should pray he may inter- that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my sp- this is see, if I, he says it clearly. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays and my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? He says, I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my mind also. But I want you to see that's what he's not saying that praying with your spirit um, is, is unfruitful to you spiritually. He's saying it's unfruitful to you intellectually. You don't know what you're saying if there's no interpretation. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that there can't be spiritual burdens lift. He's saying like intellectually, you're just not really sure what's going on. You just feel like, man, God is working. God is moving. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks in your spirit, because what is he saying? Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone uh, in a position of an outsider say amen? Meaning that if you are praying in a tongue that you don't know, it's possible that you're giving thanks. Which is according to Philippians 4, how you get the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And he's saying it would be really nice if other people could say amen too. And thank God for that. So if you're in a prayer meeting and you're gathered around people, someone should interpret is what he's saying. He says, verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but if the other person is not being built up, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I'd rather speak five words in my own mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. Because his purpose, what he cares the most about publicly, when everything's happening publicly, we're gathered together, is the edification of the body. Privately, pray however you want. You don't need an interpretation. It would be cool if you got one. But he's saying together, corporately, together, when you're, when you're praying. See, we're called to pray privately. We are also called to pray at all times, in all situations. So there's prayer meetings. There's also uh, groups, prayer groups, prayer in small groups. He's saying in those times, in those small group settings, that it's not private prayer, you should keep in mind that the, the prayer is not just between you and God, but it's between you and God and other people can hear. Have you ever been praying and, with someone and, and, and you heard someone else pray? And you're like, man, that really encouraged me. Like, your prayer encouraged me, and you weren't even praying for me. You were praying for someone else, and I got encouraged. You ever been there? If not, you should be around people who pray more, because this is, it, it happens. 
And some people get real discouraged because they're like, man, I was encouraged by someone else who prayed and now I don't want to pray publicly. I want you to know God, they didn't know that. That God wants to use you in the same way. So pray publicly, even if you're like not good at it. Also, if you ever prayed something and you're like, man, I think I said something wrong. Like, I think my theology was wrong in that prayer. You know, God can interpret that too. Like he, he's not confused. Going, no, nope, he prayed wrong. I like, can't pray again. Like what I need us to see here is that when we pray collectively, corporately, it's not just praying to God, but it does benefit the hearers. Therefore, if you're praying in a tongue, a language that is unknown to the hearers, there must be interpretation so that the body can say, yes, amen, thank you, Lord, for that. We hear you. We know what you're saying. See, I led a prayer meeting in college. We had this rule. And early in college, we had prayed every single Sunday. God was doing mighty work. People were getting saved. And a lot of people were getting saved. And uh, uh, so we were like, man, we're going to keep praying. We, we gathered together in this room, um, and we would pray. We ran it out, and we prayed. And we, we invited people from all, all you know, uh, Christian groups. Hey, anyone can come in and pray. We had rules. Rules were if you prayed in tongues and didn't interpret, you got kicked out. And you were never allowed to come back. Like, that was the first rule. It was like, that's the rule. And uh, we're like, this is what it says. Like, you can't, you can't do that. And so what ended up happening, six, seven, eight weeks in, um, someone was like, hey, I'm going to pray in tongues. I say, like, all right, let's go. Either way, it's going to be fun. We're either going to get into a fight or we're going to kick this guy out forever or God's going to bless us with actual tongues and we're going to be edified and benefited. So it, I was just ready. What's going to happen? So he starts to pray. I'm counting. Like, how long, how many seconds is it going to happen? Because this other guy was like, I'll interpret. And they didn't know each other. And I was like, okay, is this a scam? Like, I really, this is how I felt. And I was like, what's going on? We're about to test this. We're, we're going to figure this out. So I'm counting. It was like 90 seconds to a two minutes, you know? Like, and, and this is before, like, a stopwatch, you know, phone on my, I was just, like, counting in my head. And then I was listening to, and also, like, praying, God, give me the, the, the gift of interpretation. It was, I was real confused about what I was trying to accomplish at that moment. But uh, uh, he prays, and then, and, and you know you see interpreters. If you ever watched a live interpretation, usually the interpreter gives like half of time allotted to what the guy said. You see this on the, in the UFC all the time, a guy Portuguese speaking, his interpreter, and the guy talks for like five minutes, and the guy's like, he said, good luck. You're like, what? No, he didn't. He said a lot of other things. He said a lot of other things. And so that's what I was going to see. Does this interpreter just go like, oh, he said glory to God. Like, shut up, dude. What's going on? I wanted to know. The dude interpreted, and it was like the same amount of time. I'm going, okay, well, what did he say? He said like a bunch of things that were glorifying to God. It was like he was quoting all the Psalms in different parts. It was, it was doxology. It was uplifting. I was like, that's good. That's good. And some of the, my friends afterwards were like, well, why didn't he just read a Psalm? I'm like, do you have all of the Psalms memorized? And that at on demand, you can pick from this one and this one and this one and this one and this one? Like, no, then shut up. He, he, Holy Spirit did. God, the Holy Spirit does have it memorized. He wrote the book so he can apply it at any time. We were benefited. We were edified. We were built up. We were submitted to God's word. We could say amen to it all. It wasn't heresy. It wasn't contradicting. I was like, huh, it checks the boxes. And that's where you need to leave it. It's like that was, it was legit. Some people still to this day will hear this story, well, was it legit? Why do you have that in you that you can't read God's word and go, if someone does it according to God's word, like, do you think the con artist is going to go in there and go, like, we're going to do it everything like God, glorify God, and, like, not get, not con anybody? What point the con artist switched teams? 
He's an apostate of the con team. He's on Jesus' team. Now, either way, it glorifies God. So if this gift, public use of tongues and prophecy, is going to be done in an orderly manner, like this is what it needs to look like. There needs to be order. Verse 26 of chapter 14 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one, so this is what was going on in Corinth. Now, what he's describing is how things happened in Corinth. What he is not doing is saying, this is how every church service should look. We don't have any New Testament liturgy of how the church organized, but he is telling, because remember, if you remember, the Corinthians were also getting drunk at communion. So we don't drink enough wine to get drunk at communion. And so like, we're clearly not taking their prescribed, what they did and applying it. So here, some for them... Some of the, they would come together, someone would, he'd be like, I'm the music guy, I'll bring a hymn. Someone would have a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, and all these things. But he says, the point is not what's in your church service. The point is the church service should be, all things should be done for the building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, he's like, let there be two or at three most. And, and let each in turn, so not everyone speaking at one time. If there's going to be tongues, then let there be one guy, then the next guy, then the next guy. Well, whoever it is, let it be done in an orderly fashion. He is not saying that there has to be two or three every time they, 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 they show up to church. There's got to be three tongues or, or it's not legitimate church service. What he's saying is that if it's going to, no more than three. Ideally two, but no more than three. So what's, what's descriptive here is what's going on in Corinth. What's prescriptive is if you're going to do it, this is how you must do it. This is what he's saying. Two or three. But if there's no one to interpret, what does he say? Let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Shut up. That's what he says. Don't talk. Don't speak in tongues if there's not anyone here to interpret. He's very, I, I, that's not unclear. That's what he says. And prophecy, he said, let two or three speak. Again, smaller numbers. But he says this. What does he do? He says, let others weigh in on what is said. Test it. What is being said? Some guy just rolls up. I'm a prophet. I'm going to tell you what to do. And then, hey, we're going to do an altar call. And actually, we're doing a, a, a tithe. Let's all give your money in and fund you know, my, my jet campaign. Like, you've all seen that. And that's why you don't like this gift in, in the, the word prophecy is that if that happens, someone in the church should have show, showed up and said, hey, man, like, we're going to test this stuff. Test it with God's word. Every time I preach, you should be testing what is being said with the word of God. If I contradict God's word, then I should be called to account on that. And so that is prescriptive. Let the, and he says, if, and he says uh, if a revelation is made sitting there, let the, the first be silent. For, the one, for you can all pro- prophesy one by one. So that you may learn and be encouraged. That's the point of it. So they can learn and be encouraged. And the, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. There's a submission to authority here. And for God is not the God of confusion but peace. See, here's the point that matters. Is that when there's a corporate gathering, things should be done in an order. So there's, there's clarity, not confusion. Because God's not a God of, of confusion but of clarity and peace. Additionally, he says an, an, another thing here is if you have this gift of prophecy, it, this is, it shows you that it needs to be, uh, if you have a revelation or, or information from God, it needs to be tested. It needs to be tested with God's word first, and others should weigh in on it. And this is why in, in counseling, in moments where I think something, I'm, I'm testing it. I'm asking questions. And then if, it, if, it, if they say they confirm it, then we go, okay, it's confirmed. Now we know what we're talking with. I don't go, hey, look, check, prophecy, fulfill. Like, who cares? It's for the edification of the person. And so well, it, it can't contradict God's word. 
And so it must be submitted to God's word and the spiritual authority. So if there's something that comes, if, 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 you know, something that comes to mind and we're going to use this gift, it's going to be submitted to the elders in the church. It is. Spiritual authority. Just like the preaching should also be submitted to the authority of the scripture. And so in summary, tongues and prophecy, we have this in chapter 14, 36 through 40. It says this, or what is it uh, that, that the word of God came? Or are you the only one who it's reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet... This is in summary of everything that's being said. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you are a command from the Lord. If you don't acknowledge these things, you are a false prophet. Prophets who don't submit to God's word or to spiritual authority are false prophets. If anyone, and he says, if anyone, verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. Stop recognizing that brother. Stop bringing him in. Stop letting him talk. Take the microphone from him. Don't recognize him. And if he goes to another church, tell that pastor the dude's a kook as well. So my brothers earnestly, so what does he say? Even he gives you warning of how to handle false teaching and people who won't submit to God's word. He teaches us what to do. But he doesn't tell you be scared of the gifts. He doesn't say, don't think they exist. He says, don't get weirded out by it. What does he say? He says, if, if the prophet shows up and he won't submit to authority, don't recognize him anymore. And then the very next sentence, what does he say? Some of our brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. I want you to, he's not, don't, I want you to have the gift. If someone's not using it right, let's put a, a cork in it and then let you desire it. And if you have the gift, don't you, use it. And he says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Tongues could be used wildly, but stop doing it wrong. Do it right. That's all he's saying. And all these things should be done in a decent order. Now, we've come to the end of this. We've come to the end of, of all the spiritual gifts. Past six, seven, eight weeks, we've, we, we see them all. We, we see tongues and prophecy, but we see all the gifts are, are given to us by God for the building, the edifying, the, the, the growing up of the body of Christ. And if we're going to use them, they should be done in a way that's orderly and, 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 and done to glorify God, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to end with just looking at 1 Corinthians 13 from a, a view that combines all of these gifts. I'm not going to preach a whole other sermon on 1 Corinthians 13, but I want you to see that 1 Corinthians 13 is the love passage that everyone talks about you know, at every wedding, but it's, it's in the context of spiritual gifts. So I, I, wanna, I want us to hear this uh, as we conclude. He says this, If I speak in tongues of men or an angel, but do not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, you can render your gift useless of tongues by not being loving. You're just annoying. That's what he's saying. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and, and all knowledge, so that's another gift. So prophecy and all knowledge and have all faith. Faith is another gift. Uh, as to move mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Lack of love can render your gifts useless. If I give all I have, that's generosity, the gift of generosity, and I deliver my body up to be burned, that, that, that's, that's sacrificial giving and, and sacrificing oneself, pouring yourself out for your brother and sister. Maybe that's through generosity. Maybe that's through hospitality. But whatever reason you're doing, if you do all of that and have not loved, you gain nothing. The point is that, that God is, the Holy Spirit has given us all different gifts and he wants us to use our gifts for the glory of God, for the benefit and blessing of his church, and the propelling of the kingdom of God, the mission of God here in the city. 
And you, and you have gifts by God. But if you want to render your gifts useless, make them ineffective, to make you an annoying person, a powerless prophet, a, 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 a informationless per, gift of knowledge and, and faith that can do great things, but you are nothing, he says. You gain nothing. And I am nothing. He says both. You're annoying, you are nothing, and you gain nothing. You render your gifts annoying, you, you render your gifts useless, and you render your gain and edification as nothing if your gifts are not bound by love. See, Jesus teaches us in, in, his, in, in the Great Commission, uh, as we're commissioned to go out, make disciples, we're to do so holding in tandem and, 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 and together the, the love of God, love of the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two gifts, these two, or these two things uh, uh, surmise the whole entire law and the prophets. Love God and love your neighbor. And so if we're going to be effective with our gifts, we must love. And so what is love? God defines love. The culture doesn't define love. So let's think about love according to God's word. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Are you, imp- are you an impatient and unkind person? Maybe that's why your gifts are ineffective. Love does not envy or boast. Are you envious of other people's gifts? Or do you just like, man, my gifts are so cool, just like the Corinthians, like my gifts are better than your gifts. You're rendering your gifts useless. Love is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they will pass away. For we now know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, in this moment, we see in the mirror dimly. But then, meaning when Jesus returns, we will see face to face. Now we know in part. Then when Jesus returns, we shall be fully known. Even as we, are full, we have been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three things, but the greatest of these is love. Here's the reality. And this is what I want us to hear as we end. Jesus will return. The imminent return of Christ is real. And we don't need to argue about when. The point is that he is coming back. And, he, and he, when he comes back, he wants to find his church working. Therefore, if he comes back in your lifetime, you better be working. If he comes back in the lifetime of those you've discipled, you need to be working now so you can teach them to be working when he shows up. The point being is still, until Jesus comes, the gift of God, the gifts of God, uh, the, the spiritual gifts are to be used and stewarded for the propelling and continuation of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the church continue to grow and flourish and, and continue to be built in nation. Every tribe, tongue can know the love of Jesus Christ. The culture can change and become uh, one that's 
of, of, of heaven on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus teaches us to pray. That's what we're doing. We're on Jesus' mission, and we need the gifts of God that the Holy Spirit has given to work together. But when Jesus returns, and he will, that there will be no need for healing, gifts of healing, because we will be healed. There will be no need for gift of tongues, for we will hear and know what God is, the language of the Lord, and he will know us perfectly. There will be no sin. There will be no shame. There will be no suffering. Our faith will become sight. We will be made new. This is the future for the Christian. And it should be something you long for, you hope for, you anticipate, and you build in the present as if heaven will be your future home. You build on earth as it is in heaven. You, you live kingdom-minded on earth as it is in heaven. You steward the gifts of God to reflect Jesus, His word, will, and ways, and His mission to the glory of God and to the building and edification of His church. One day, however... What we see now that is, that is partial will pass. And we will experience the fullness and glory of God where sin has been dealt with, death once and for all. No more guilt, no more shame, no more suffering. Fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore in the presence of the Lord Jesus. But until then, we have work to do. And we're to steward our gifts in a way that the gifts we have are bound by the love of Christ, which covers multitude of sins. For if we don't love like Jesus, we will render our gifts useless and annoying. And I love you guys. I want us to love Jesus. It's an honor to preach his word every week. And I know I've gone long. I got one more thing, though. If you're not a Christian today, the return of Christ, it is imminent and it is real. When he returns, his love that is currently patient and kind towards you will cease. His patience will run out. His kindness will be replaced by wrath. As it is present, our Lord Jesus is long-suffering towards sinners so that his kindness would lead us to repentance. But the day in which Christ returns, the patience of our Lord God will be expired. So repentance is not later, it's now. Trust in Jesus is not later, it's now. See, when Jesus returns, we will, he will close and shut every mouth. You won't have an opportunity to repent. Today is the day of salvation. So if you're not a Christian, I want you to see this. Jesus looks upon you, sees you in your sin and your rebellion, says, I want you in my family, and right now he's being very patient with you. He's being very kind, wanting you to come to repentance. He is not rude towards you. He is not irritable towards you. But he does not rejoice in your wrongdoing, in your rebellion. He rejoices in the truth, and he wants you to come to faith in the truth that Jesus is God. He's died in your place for your sins. He's resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's coming back to judge the living and the get dead. He loves you so much that he, he wants you in his family, that he gave his life for you. Will you believe? And for the Christian in here, I need you to see that if you are in Christ, that God the Father is no longer irritable. He's not irritable towards you or resentful towards you. But he does not like when we, we, we refuse to repent and we continue to rejoice in wrongdoing. Exchange that today by rejoicing in the truth. Repent where you need to repent. See, the love of Christ bears all things because he bore all things on the, on the cross. He's died for your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. 
all your sin. Therefore, you can come to him freely and experience the love that never ends. And so, as we conclude, as Pastor Alex comes to walk us through communion, may we think about that. May we think about the love of Christ, the link that he went to save us. May we think about the mission which he's called us to. And may we be a people like 1 Corinthians 14, 1, that, that pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. This is your church, Jesus, and we're, we're glad to submit to you. I do ask that, that your word would be continue brought to bear in our life so that we would hear it, see it, fall under conviction, and willfully repent. May, may your word be brought to bear in the lives of the, 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 the families of the children who are here through their parents. May there be continual pointing and trust, uh, pointing to uh, Jesus so that we could trust you, Jesus. If, 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 if we're not Christians today, Lord, would you convict us of our hearts so that we can become Christians? And those who are Christians, may we continue to be edified. May we use our gifts, Lord Jesus, collectively together under your banner, your church, your kingdom. Steward them in a way that magnify the name of Christ and the cause of Christ in word and deed in every sphere in which we find ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.